today, uh, this message, we're in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, please turn there with me, and uh, let's stand today in honor of God's Word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I'm going to read a little further. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Or if you have the NIV, it probably says, no one has ever seen God, but the love of God, if we love him, the love of God is made manifest through us. Verse 13, I'm going to keep going. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. You can have a seat. Um, the, the passage goes on to say um, that in his spirit is love and where there is love, there is no what? Perfect love drives out. Fear, and there is no fear in love. Fear has to do with punishment. Those of us who are feeling condemned and feeling punished are not experiencing the love of God. We're not abiding in God. But if we are abiding in God's love, then we know that we're not condemned and our hearts are relieved from condemnation. We don't have fear. We don't have fear of God or fear of anything because we're reunited with our creator. And therefore, we've overcome and we spill over in love. That's, in essence, what the passage continues to go on to. All right. But what we're doing here is we're going to talk about those first couple verses, okay? Um, so uh, f- where it starts talking about the Spirit. Now, I want to remind you of what John's, um, what's going on here with John. You remember John is probably the only remaining apostle at this point, and uh, the only remaining of the 12 apostles at this point, uh, of the original 12 and um, he's 
also uh, the grand patriarch. He's probably one of the very few people on earth who walked with Jesus and is still there. Generations have gone by. Things have started to slip. Culture has changed dramatically for the church. It's a post-Hebraic culture. The church originally existed as a Hebrew culture. Now it's way beyond the Hebrew culture. And um, so there's all sorts of people who are a part of the church now. Also, church, or the whole culture continues to grow more secular, and they are on the brink of massive persecution. John, knowing all of this, is trying to ground them in the truth as the patriarch. Make sure that his last words are about keeping them grounded in the truth. And we talked about that in the, in the first message that, uh, in this, was that, and that all started with confession. If you say that you do not have sin, you're a liar. Like... We're, coming for, we're approaching from a, a spot where we're already doomed unless we're aware of our own need. And unless we're broken and coming from a place of acknowledging our sin, we're not going to be in a posture to receive from God what we need to. He progresses from there all through the book describing how we can be sure that it is God who is among us and that we are in God. And when we get to chapter 4, what he's saying is, now listen, there are spirits that are coming that want to distract you from God and want to disrupt that relationship with God. So what I want to do here is talk about what those spirits are. Because uh, there's kind of a, uh, in, in this culture, there was an understanding of what spirit was in a way that I don't think our culture easily comprehends. If you remember, the biggest heresy that they were facing in this church was what? Does anybody remember the name of the heresy they were facing? Gnosticism, which is worship of spirit. Not worship of God, just anything spiritual is awesome. And anything that's not spiritual is dumb. You know, that's kind of how, what Gnosticism was about. And so they understood spiritual. They craved spiritual. They loved spiritual. Our culture, not so much. There's a weird backdoor fascination with spiritual because we're spiritual by nature. And so when you have a whole culture that isn't spiritual, there's always going to be like Hollywood can do something spiritual and people are going to be like, oh, we should check that out. But the reason that that has intrigue is because there's so little in our culture of actual engagement in the spiritual. We live in the rational. We live in the physical. We are humanists. We believe we're the center of the universe as an American culture. And because of that, we don't really believe in the spiritual that much. And yet, because we are spiritual, there's a craving that still needs to be itched. And so every now and then, you hear, like, this movie came out that's spiritual, and it, and, and it was a big deal. But generally speaking, people don't think in the spiritual. Very opposite for John's culture. Everyone thought in the spiritual. Everything was about spirit. So he didn't have to explain what spiritual was. He said, test the spirits. Well, I think for us, we actually have to know what a spirit is before we can even test it. And I think that's what, that's what the study's about, okay? So what is spirit? Anybody know what the Greek word for spirit is? Pneuma. There it is. Nice work, Sherry. So um, the, the, the Greek word is pneuma. Now, that literal translation of the Greek word in Greek can mean spirit, what we would term as spirit. It also is a word, a very common word, pneuma, in Greek that also means wind. So wind or spirit. Same word. So if we said spirit, or if we said, what direction is the spirit blowing today? Or the wind that lives inside of me. You know, that's, it's interchangeable word in Greek. It's the exact same word. There's no difference between it. Um, it also means breath. It means anytime there's air moving. It's pneuma, moving air. 
Okay, that's, that's what it means. Now, um, if you go to a Bible dictionary um, and, and start to look at, uh, in the Greek, what this word is defined as, I'm going to take us down through a few of those definitions and give us a few scripture references to kind of look at this so we can understand what it is. Air in motion, breath. The seat of thought or feeling. I'm going to write that one down. That's a really important one, okay? The seat of thought or feeling. This thing right here is a seat, Okay. And that means that feeling and thought sit on this. What I feel sits on spirit. What I think sits on top of a spirit. This is why in Romans chapter 8, we're told that God's spirit communicates to our spirit that we are children of God. He doesn't speak it first to our brains. He doesn't speak it first to our emotions. He speaks it to our spirit. Because everything we think and everything we feel is based on something deeper. The seat of our thought and the seat of our feelings is the spirit. Okay? Another definition. A spiritual being. Now this is probably what is the easiest thing for us to think of when we think of spirits. A spiritual being. So, uh, you know, Jesus cast out an evil spirit. Right? Well, okay, what, it, what do we think of when we think evil spirit? What's another word we would use? Demon. Demon is definitely a spirit. And what are the opposite of demons? Angels, sort of the opposite. They're also spirits, so it's not really the opposite. Flesh would be the opposite. Evil, good flesh would be the opposite of evil spirit. You know? But the, when we look at the war, you have the evil spirits and you have the good spirits. But you also have, there's different, different differentiation between even within evil and good. There's human spirits. Do we have spirits? Yeah, if you read the Bible all the time. As a matter of fact, we're told that in, in Thessalonians, may, may God himself sanctify you. May he sanctify you in spirit and in soul and in body. And in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate and divide between the soul and the spirit. So there's these different parts of us. But we have human spirits. We are human spirits. I shouldn't say we have a spirit because the spirit is more who I am than my flesh is. Because the spirit is that which is eternal. The flesh is that which is temporal. So who I am is my spirit. The flesh is the canvas that I'm wearing right now on the outside. You know, that's the clothing that I'm wearing right now. But it's not who I am. But human spirits are only one kind of spirit. There's also, what other kind of spirits? Let's talk about the good side. What other spirits are there other than human spirits? Okay, so... Listen to, this is from John chapter 4, one of the great passages on spirit. In 424, when he's talking to the woman, the Samaritan, the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Okay? And so he's saying, in his essence, in, at the very core of who God is, his nature is that of spirit. He is spirit. When there was nothing else in all of creation yet, and there was only a mess, a muddled mess, what was happening? Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters. Okay, so the Spirit existed before the flesh. The Spirit existed before the physical, and God is Spirit. So there's the human spirit, 
There's the divine spirit of God. And then any other spirits? Somebody said it. Angel. Angel. Angelic spirits. Okay? So those are spirits that we would say potentially on the good side of things. How about on the dark side of things? What's that? The devil? Definitely spirit. What kind of spirit? Fallen angelic spirit. Archangelic spirit. Fallen. Michael the archangel, now uh, in Star Wars terms, is going to the dark side. Except we don't believe in that. It's not pantheism. Um, But now listen. Are there layers, different kinds of spirit in the angelic? Can you give me an example? Okay, so there's the seraphim, there's the archangels, there's this, seraphim is our, isn't that our computer software we're using? (laughs) Um, The cherubim, yes. And so how about on the darker side of things? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers. We say there are principalities, there are strongholds, there are these uh, great structures of dark spirituality that happen in our world. In order to understand that, see, we typically think of the personality attached to a spiritual being. So therefore, we kind of think of it like it's just a person or a thing that doesn't have a body on it. But actually, it's a little more elusive than that. What does pneuma mean? When? Describe the wind. You know? That we, words fail a little bit when it comes to truly describing wind. And when it comes to truly understanding and describing spirit, we have to understand that spirit is before thought. So when we try to define spirit by thought, we will fail. Because spirit is deeper than thought. Thought is based on spirit. This is why when it comes to creation and evolution and that whole conversation... It's a bizarre conversation because we receive by faith that which we cannot see, which is the origins of our world who no one was there to witness. And we receive something by faith in the Spirit, and yet we're having discussions about that based on scientific evidence, which is what we can see. And it puts us in a weird place in the discussion because it's almost like two different discussions that we're trying to bring together. Where we start is inevitably where we will end in some ways, you know, because we're approaching it already from a spirit, whether we recognize it or not. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So let me move on to another uh, one of the definitions here. Um, Spirit, wind is also a vital principle, defined as a vital principle. Let me give you an example of that. Um, This is where Jesus says in John chapter 6, spectacular chapter. If you want another chapter to dig into, dig into that one. Jesus says, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Does it mean that the words he's spoken are spirit and life? Well, I I mean, Jesus, when he's saying something, you pretty much have to take it like there's authority in what he's saying. He says, the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are spirit. There's something that, that I'm communicating that isn't just information. It's actually spirit. 
which means when he's communicating, this is not some data that he's giving to me that I take and put in my brain just to mull around and see what I come up with. What he's saying is, I am communicating much deeper than your brain or your emotions. The spirit of the living God is communicating to your spirit. I am talking to you on a deeper level. And what's happening here is when I'm talking to you on this level, you know that the tone of someone's voice can oftentimes not match the actual words that are coming out of the mouth and something weird can happen there. I struggle so much when I'm in a place of frustration with my children. If, if I know that I need to be in a certain place with them, speaking life to them right now, and yet the spirit underneath is not matching the words that I want to say and I want to be okay with them right now and provide grace, but underneath of it there's anger. It could be that spiritually I'm speaking one thing to them Spirit to spirit, my heart is speaking one thing and my words are saying something else. That can happen, right? And as kids, we can feel that. We know that no matter what's coming out of the mouth, and and not just as kids, we all have this. And what Jesus is saying, much more than that, is when it comes to a vital principle, he's saying the heart of the matter. I'm speaking to you not just about general stuff. This is the heart of the matter. This is the spirit of the entire communication that I'm giving to you is this thing, this word. And what Jesus had just said is they were talking about manna and making him king and all this because he had fed the 5,000. And what he said is eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were like, what? And there's this crazy place. And what he's saying to them is the words that I'm speaking to you are spirit and life. In other words, this is the core of the whole thing. If you will receive this teaching in your heart, then you will begin to understand it eventually in your mind and it will bring life to you. If you are in a posture of not receiving that, then it won't make sense because spiritual communication only makes sense when our hearts are willing to receive it. Jesus lives in this realm with his teaching. Jesus teaches all the time in ways intentionally that can only be understood by those who want to understand him. And he does that intentionally because he's speaking spiritually to them. And if our spirits are unwilling, then we're in a place where we're not going to receive it. Now there are those who also their spirits were willing, but their flesh was weak, right? And that's a whole different thing. We're not going to get down there. We'll go down there another day. Okay, so um, another definition. A mental frame how we approach God or one another, a mental frame. 1 Corinthians 4.21. This is Paul dealing with the church in Corinth who he struggled with. This is one of Paul's tough churches that he dealt with is uh, Corinthians. And he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of, discipline, and a spirit of gentleness? Will I come to you with the rod or a spirit of gentleness? In other words, He's saying, I want there to be a good spirit between us. I really want to come with like that loving, nurturing spirit where I'm gentle and we're enjoying things one another. But since Paul loves them and he knows that they're out of line, he's like, am I going to have to come with the rod of discipline? Because that's not, have you ever been there with your kids or whatever? You know, like I really want to come to you in, 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 in a good spirit. I want a good spirit between us. But I also know that faking a good spirit isn't going to actually help you right now. That you're in a spot where I either have to come with the rod or I can come in a spirit of gentleness, but you're the one who has to decide that. And that's what Paul was saying to them. 
And the idea is there's a spirit between them, among them. And that's a mental frame. It's, it's kind of like the, the whole way in which everything is happening right now is a spirit. It's the wind. You can feel it in the air. It's the whole sense in which things are blowing in this conversation. And I would love for the, the, the wind of this conversation to be one of gentleness. But I'm afraid that it might end up having to be one of a rod, is what he's saying. You know, like, and uh, that's, there's another example of this, uh, which is a good one to look at. 1 Peter 3, 4. This is where um, uh, Paul is talking to, uh, or Peter, rather, is talking to um, men and women in the church. And when he gets to women, he's talking about how they dress and how they adorn themselves. And he said, this is such a beautiful description, I believe, of what spirit can be. 1 Peter 3, 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so he's saying, how, what part of you are you adorning? Are you adorning the exterior part or the secret person of the heart, which is what? Our spirit. Are you adorning your spirit? How? As a gentle and quiet spirit. One that's submitted to the Lord. One that's quiet before the Lord. That's not restless and frustrated and angry and controlling and whatever, but instead is attentive to the Lord. I think one of the greatest pictures in the scriptures of this is Mary, who ponders all of these things in her heart as she watches Jesus. As she watches this thing. There's an attentiveness to God a gentleness and a quietness that's just believing that God's in control. And this woman will experience probably more pain than most of us could ever possibly imagine. But she's attentive to God, quietly attentive to God in the midst of that, adorning her inner spirit with gentleness. That's, so that's a picture of where the spirit resides in a person. Um, and and that's, it's a mental frame that she approaches everything with because of who she is. Now, a third or another definition is an influential principle, okay? And so an influential principle is actually a spirit, a wind. Now, it's important to not separate this from the personality, okay? So the personality of a spirit, like a demon... And an influential principle. They're not two uses of the same word. They're the same word and the same thing manifesting in different ways. In other words, a demon and an influential principle can be the same thing. So a, a demon is an influential principle and it is a being. Because it's spirit, we have a hard time understanding that. But it's, it's, so the voice that we hear and the thought that we think in our head is both a real being and it's actually a principle, okay? That's why it's principalities, principalities and powers, okay? And so uh, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Twelve to thirteen. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? Listen to this. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. So unless we have the spirit 
that God imparts to us, then we can't understand the things that God's giving us. I can't see. In other words, God might be giving me all sorts of amazing things, but I can't see, receive, or appreciate them unless I have the spirit that God is is trying to give to me. If I'm approaching things from a different spirit than the spirit of God, then I can't see the beauty of God all around me. It continues. Verse 13. And we impart this, which is different. Imparting means giving you something, embedding something into you. The difference between teaching and impartation is that teaching is just giving information. Imparting is when you impart spirit. And so this is what he's saying. He says, we impart, the, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit imparting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, if I'm in a spiritual frame of mind, if my heart is submitted to God, if I'm desiring the things of God, if what I'm looking for is God, then these mysteries of the gospel of Christ, these beauties, these amazing wisdoms of God can be given to me and they can be imparted and I can receive them. But if I'm in a posture of defense against those things, then that means my spirit can't receive the spiritual truth. And we see this happen all through Jesus' ministry. That's the way it worked. The posture or the spirit in which people approached him determined to what degree they were receiving the truth that would uh, break things that were bad in their life and release things that were great in their life. All right, I want to give one more definition, okay? A pervading influence. A spirit is a pervading influence. Something that comes in and influences and pervades all through. Um, last night I was at a, a surprise birthday party for a buddy of mine. And uh, I was talking to a guy there who I had never met before. And he told me he travels constantly all over the globe. Um, and uh, he was saying, I just got back from Warsaw in Poland where I have a team there that I oversee. I said, what was that like? And he was like, uh, it was like... Um, and you could tell the guy was a little bit spiritual. Like, I, I think he was a believer, but not somebody who was like, not someone who practices a great deal in the spiritual realm. And, but he said, yeah, it was really weird, man. It was like these beautiful buildings, but graffiti everywhere. He said, I don't know how to explain it. It just felt like everything was gray. And I was like, yeah. I said, he said, maybe it felt like communism. I don't know. He said, but it just felt like everything was gray. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, he's experiencing the spiritual darkness of that land. The dominion, the, the governance, the spiritual governance in that land. Have you ever been in a, in a place where you go to this place and it just feels, eh, you know what I mean? And, you, and it's different than another. So when you're in one place, things kind of seem and feel a certain way. You go to another place and, and the same conversation might just be different. Um, I've heard lots of people come to Pottstown, um, to the borough of Pottstown, and say, yeah, that's one of those places. Um, and where, uh, you know, when I come to the borough of Pottstown, that I feel this level of heaviness there, confusion, hopelessness, darkness, you know. And why? I don't know. I just feel it when I'm there. I, 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 I'm driving down the street, and I just feel that way. The seat 
of feeling and the seat of thought is spirit. There are principalities and powers. There are cosmic powers in the universe that take dominion and set up strongholds. And because of that, all the things that are being thought, the way the government is operating, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's the fact that underneath of it all, there is a spiritual realm that we don't see with our eyes and we don't comprehend with our mind. But all that we feel and all that we think is shaped first by what is taking place in the spiritual realm. We may think it's a little weird when someone says, you've heard that phrase, uh, someone who sees a demon behind every door. Have you heard that phrase? Which is like when we like hyper-spiritualize things or over-spiritualize things, like this person was mean. Oh yeah, that was this demon, you know? And if we think of it only in terms of beings, like personalities, and say there's an evil spirit that needs to be cast out, then that might sound like overboard. But when we understand the definition of spirit, that it's the wind of culture, that it's the principality over a city, that it's the general thought process that takes over our minds, that it's the same stuff that shapes the commercials that we see on TV and shapes the media. In that sense, it's all spirit. Before there was ever flesh, before there was ever material, there was spirit. Everything exists on top of a platform of spirit. Spirit is everywhere. And it's not just about demons. It's about me. I'm spirit. (laughs) And you're spirit. It's all spirit. And what John is trying to say is, you have to test the spirits. Because oftentimes we think that we are making a conclusion based on just what's rational but we fail to realize that all of our thinking and all of our feeling is based on something much deeper, which is the spiritual. And we have to learn how to test the spiritual. Because if we don't question the underlying principle, there was a day when everyone thought that the world was flat. That was an assumption. All calculations based on the fact that the world was flat made everything else they're doing uh, fundamentally flawed a little bit. When we feel a certain way because of a spirit, and if a general community feels and acts a certain way, if we are not looking and saying, is that thing biblical and from the Lord, then all the other thoughts and feelings we have may be fundamentally flawed. And we might not know it. We might be like people who just assumed the earth was flat and didn't realize that some of our science might have been off because there was a basic underlying principle that was off. John is saying the winds that are blowing in our world right now, it's not just about whether you're working hard to do the right thing. It's about the fact that there is general philosophy that is moving through our world that is changing the way we think and view and see everything. And we have to be very careful about this. So this is what John's doing. He's doing his job as a patriarch in assessing those things. Um, So uh, Ephesians 4 Turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're done defining, but uh, I want to show what it is that John's doing a little bit. We talked about in Ephesians 6 is where it talks about the principalities and the powers. Um, but Ephesians 4 is, um, you can see, this is, this is a passage that probably um, we've heard a great deal of. This is another one of those passages that it, we've taught from a lot because it talks about the unity in the body. It talks about how leadership works. It talks about one church and all of those things. Um, But as it talks about, uh, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
So there's these leaders put in place to help facilitate the growing of the body and the fulfillment of what we're called to do. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're to grow up into Christ. So why? Listen, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's wind? What's the Greek word? Pneuma. It's the same word. They, if they translated every spirit of doctrine here, that would be every bit as accurate of a translation. In the same way that if we translated the wind of Christ, it'd be the same translation as the spirit of Christ. They're trying to translate it in a way that we as, as uh, Americans or Eng- English-speaking people will understand it. But when it says the wind of a doctrine, that's the exact same word as saying the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit or the spirit of doctrine. The wind of God or the wind or the spirit of doctrine, the wind of doctrine. And what's, what it's saying is, is our belief systems. I'm not just talking about doctrine as far as are, are we Buddhists or are we Christians? Or am I a Jehovah's Witness or uh, a, a Mormon? Or am I uh, a Protestant or Catholic based on my creed? What I'm talking about is when it comes to our view of God, what this scripture is saying is there are winds that blow. There are spirits that communicate to us about how we view God in one another. And there are always voices, broad voices that speak to our culture, that influence us, specific voices that speak to me about how I'm dealing with this situation at work. There's always voices that are communicating to me. And I have to be vigilant, is what Paul's saying, to make sure that I'm not tossed to and fro by every wind that comes along. I felt this, so I'm thinking this, so I'm acting this way. Somebody said this, and I thought that sounded good, so I'm feeling this, so I'm doing this. And I'm all over the place, just reacting. The Spirit of God reveals Himself in the Scripture and the Spirit is given to us so that we can know that which Jesus has already spoken to us. The unchanging nature of God is given to us through an interpreter, the Holy Spirit, who comes within us and reminds us of all that Christ has spoken to us. And when we read His Word, it tells us what to think and it tells us how to feel. And our job is to take every thought captive in order to obey Christ, because I am constantly being tempted to think inappropriately. And the beginning of the Gospel of John says, if I say I'm not a sinner, then I don't know God. And what that means is, if I don't think I'm being literally, deeply tempted, and I'm not believing things wrong, then I'm, a, I'm already missing it. Because the whole confession, the whole idea of communion, the whole idea of coming to the cross is saying, God, man, I know that I don't think right. I know that I don't feel right. I know that there are voices that speak to me that I listen to that I shouldn't listen to. And I need you to bring transformation to my heart and to my mind. I need you to renew a right spirit within me because I can't see anything right unless it's the Spirit of God that's leading me. So I submit myself to you to say, you teach me how to think. You show me how to feel. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that what I would think in this situation or what I would feel in this situation is going to be wrong. 
I'm just going to assume my first assumption is that what I will think or what I will feel is wrong and I won't know what's right until your spirit guides me through your word to show me what I should think and feel. And until I get, until I get here prayerfully and here in the word, then I'm going to assume that what I'm thinking is not of God. Because I'm a sinner, I'm depraved, the heart is desperately wicked. That, the word heart in the Old Testament is the same word as spirit. The heart is desperately wicked. The spirit of my spirit is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. The most deceptive thing in this world is my heart. It deceives me. It plays tricks on me. It wants to hear things and see things to justify things to make me the center of my own universe. And the whole point of the, of the book of John is to show me where I'm being led astray. He's saying this is the whole point. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty and they are divine and they are powerful to tear down strongholds and every pretense that pretense is like philosophy, thought, background, pretense, assumption that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. There are assumptions in my mind when I get into a situation and someone offends me and I want to get up and be like, how in the world are you going to offend me like that? That's pride that has me at the center of the universe that was spoken to me by a false spirit. Underneath of it is the spirit of Jesus that leads me back to him where he says, take up your cross and follow me. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we, for, as we forgive the sins of others. As I'm hearing the words of Christ and being reminded of that, I'm saying, everything inside of me thinks that I need to defend myself right now. But the Spirit of God is telling me, it's not my job to defend myself, it's my job to worship him. And so I have to trust him and follow him. And so God, I can't do that. I am a messed up individual who doesn't have that kind of willpower. I need you to transform the way I'm thinking so that I can see this situation differently so I have the power to act differently. So I need to see this person as a brother or sister in Christ instead of seeing them as my enemy right now. And the only way I'm going to do that is when you wash me in the water of the word. And when you wash me in the water of the word, you're going to cleanse my mind and you're going to help me bring every thought in captivity so that I can approach this situation fresh in the mindset of Jesus, loving and it will ultimately result in love, which was the entire book of 1 John says, it will always birth love. And that's why the whole love motif is the whole thing, all over the thing. And so there are politicians all over our world right now who have a great plan for immigration, who have a bulletproof plan about how to bring our economy back, and yada, yada, all these plans. And what we know is that in five years from now, no matter who gets elected, everyone will be blowing holes in the plan that they proposed right now that was bulletproof because once it hit the paper, once it went off the paper and hit the people, it didn't work as well as they promised it would. And what it is that John's saying is there are all sorts of thought processes, all sorts of spirits that are promising us all sorts of things. But this is how you know when they hit the people, if it's love, it's of God. If it's truly love, then it's of God. Not if it's the woo-woo feeling where we're nice to each other. But if it's speaking the truth in love that leads all things up into Christ, if it admits that Christ is here in the flesh, if it's saying Christ is God of all, Lord of all, he is literal, real, and I need him, if it leads us to dependency on him and manifests in love and oneness together, that is the spirit of Jesus.
If it's taking me in a different direction where now I'm in tension because I'm like angry and I'm frustrated or I'm, in, I'm afraid because I don't think I'm going to be taken care of, all of those things are getting away from the knowledge of Christ. But what leads me to the knowledge of Christ is to say, even if this situation looks threatening, God's here, like flesh here, and he's got me. I don't have to be offended by you because you can't take away God's presence in me. Like, so we're good, and I can forgive you, and we can get past this thing, you know, and we can move forward. And that's why it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Coming out of a situation of slavery and bondage. You remember how many times those Israelites were like, we just want to go back where it was whatever. And he's like, no, 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 spirit of sonship. is Spirit of adoption, not of slavery. God's got me. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to feel shame. I don't have to have condemnation. I am a sinner. I deal with this junk all the time. I can't think right, but... As the Spirit guides me, I am free from all of that. And I stand now in confidence. We're good. We're good, God. We're good. We're good. It's okay. Parker Ford Church, what we're going through right now, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be fine. God is here. God is with us. Let's trust him and trust him to move us together into where he's taken us. It's promised land stuff. Let's not freak out, (laughs) you know. Let's trust him with it. It's going to be okay, okay? And we all are sinners. All of us mess up. But there's all sorts of grace that goes all over the place because God is good and his spirit is moving. Amen? Let's pray. God, we trust you. We trust you. This is just, we know that we don't trust you at times, but we trust you. You have brought us out of a kingdom of darkness where the spirits have owned us and have spoken to us all sorts of evil things and have whispered lies into our head day and night, waking up in the middle of the night, feeling things that are inappropriate, thinking things that are inappropriate. And underneath of it, your spirit wants to whisper to us, you're my child, I got you, I got this, I got this. Help us to rest now, to enter the full rest of Father has this. Jesus is the Savior and the King, the politicians, the the leaders. None of it matters. We trust you. Bring us deeper and deeper into a place of faith and trust. Cleanse us, God, from the places. Every single one of us in this room, we need more cleansing, God. Your blood has forgiven us. Your body broken for us. Work that out in us, God. Work out that salvation, God, to the point where we are trusting you so completely that our fears vanish, our anger and resentment dissipate, our shame and condemnation blow away, and the wind that moves us now is the power of the Holy Spirit, for you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We trust you for that, God. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your spirit will win the day. In the name of Jesus, amen.